This is a podcast of the Church at Indian Lake. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, we are going through a series here on Wednesday night called Turning Vision into Action. Turning Vision into Action. And we already uh, discussed identifying a vision. Last week we talked about the first step of a vision, or two weeks ago we did. We had a guest speaker last week. And tonight, I want to talk about the vision team. Now, let me give you a little review. So, for those of you who weren't here, or just in case you need some information, uh, for about a hundred years, Jerusalem was in ruins, and Nehemiah was in captivity in Babylon. He was a Jewish person of great influence as a king's cupbearer. He heard about the need in Jerusalem, and because of the position God put him in, he approached the king, and the king gave him permission to return to Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up the story. And tonight we are going to cover chapter 2 through 4, but I'm not going to read chapter 2 through 4. I'm just going to read a couple of selected passages. And I want you to realize that whatever dream you have, whatever vision God has given you, you're going to need a team to pull it off. He is going to bring the right people around you at the right time because when the vision is big enough, when it's from God, it's bigger than your abilities, bigger than yourself. He'll bring a team around to cause it to come to pass. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 11. We'll read 11 and 12. It says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I went out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. Let's go down to verse 17. It says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. But Sanballat the Horonite Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they ask? Are you rebelling against the king? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you that you have great things in store for us, greater than we can imagine, greater than sometimes we can explain. And Lord, your vision for our life is so great, Lord, that we can't accomplish it by ourselves. We're going to need a team. And I pray that that awareness, Lord, would come to people tonight. They would understand that. And, Lord, you would just show us pathways to, to accomplish that. And we love you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mount Everest, the largest peak in the world, is over 29,000 feet. It's very, very remote. The weather is very harsh. It is one of the greatest challenges of mankind was to go to the peak of Mount Everest. Between 1920 and 1952, over 32 years, there were seven major expeditions of, that were financed by governments that were legitimate ex- expeditions that failed. In fact, they say that today there are 120 dead bodies littered on, on uh, this mountain because people have tried and failed because of all the harsh conditions. Finally, in May 29, 1953, two men, 
Tenzing Norgay and Edmund Hillary did the impossible. In 1953, they stood on the summit of Mount Everest. No one had ever done it before. What was thought to be impossible, these two men did. Now when you start thinking about this task, it's easy to think that is the ultimate individual grit. I mean, for someone to accomplish that, that would take incredible self-determination. That would take an incredible amount of willpower. But that's not the complete story about the ascent to the top of Mount Everest. Because do you know that, that they hired, these two men hired 300 people just to get supplies to the vicinity of Mount Everest. It took 300 people just to get the supplies to the vicinity of that. So there was really no way they could have accomplished that by themselves. And the, the man, one of the, the climbers who got there, Tenzik Norgay, he said it this way, and you can read the quote with me. He says, you, don't, you do not climb a mountain like Everest by trying to race ahead on your own or by competing with your comrades. Look at that line on the screen. You do it slowly and carefully by unselfish teamwork. So even a, a, a task that we would think would take such individual power takes a team. You know, it's going to take teamwork to do anything great in life. In my young leadership journey, I've been able to develop several different teams and work with some different teams now. And I will tell you that when you start to work with a team in the beginning, it is harder to work with a team than it is to work by yourself. It's much easier to say, I'm just going to get the job done. It doesn't matter if it takes more hours and more time than it is to develop people and develop a team. But once you develop a team and once you organize a team and once you develop people, there is a power that happens that God has designed that you can accomplish so much more together than you can by yourself. Now here's the first thing I want you to write down when we talk about the importance of a team. Everything significant in life happens because of a team. Everything significant in life happens because of a team. Now, when we talk about teams, there's all types of teams. They come in all types of different form. I mean, the very basic one is I think about marriage. Marriage really is teamwork. It really is two people working together. But in athletics, in business, in politics, and here in a local church congregation, this is a team. And we are a team. And nothing significant happens unless a team is developed and a team works together. John Maxwell, I'm going to quote him several times today because he had a wonderful book called The 21 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork. It says, if you have a dream, you need a team to accomplish it. Now, one thing I did not realize, uh, and I asked a question on Facebook, and I realized I was in the minority, but I'm just going to take a poll anyway. How many of you knew that next week the 2010 Winter Olympics started? I just want to see your hand if you knew that. Oh, wow, you guys are well informed. I have just been... Uh, I was I have just been sequestered, I don't know, from media or something. I just have been totally unaware of the Olympics were coming. Uh, the whole two-year rhythm thing has messed me up. The Olympics are supposed to happen every four years, right, with the presidential election. But a change has been made. The Olympics start next week. And when we think about the Olympics, we think, wow, individual effort. I mean, that is many of the sports that you, you think of are different from baseball or football or basketball because it's one person and their time, whether it's speed skating or whatever the case is, there's so many individual sports. But if you start thinking about those individual athletes, 
it took a huge team for them to succeed. And the first members of their team are most likely their parents who sacrificed money and disposable time and disposable income and sacrifice to make sure they were successful. And then there's coaches and there's trainers and there's the Olympic Committee and there's sponsors and there, there is the media who makes us care about the Olympics by promoting it. And it really takes the team to make this a significant event. So a teamwork, you, it's really hard to really find anything in life that doesn't take a great team. And when it comes to the church, the very thing Jesus cares about, the very thing that He is staking all His hopes on, because He said, I will build my church. And, and we're it. We are God's plan. It's going to take us being a team and realizing that it's all of us working together. It's all of us working together to accomplish something. That alone we can't do it. And that's how it is for your dream. See, there's something inside of you that God has placed and a desire. And, and yes, it's an individual call and it's an individual vision. But that is going to need a team to be successful. Well, number two is this. To assemble a team, you have to go to the right location. You have to go to the right location. Nehemiah 2.11 said, Nehemiah is telling the story and he says this, I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. I went to Jerusalem. You know, a big difference between a lot of us and Nehemiah is this. Nehemiah felt the burden and he planned and he prayed and he thought about it and he asked the king's permission. But you can do all of those things and if you don't go, that's a great difference between having a vision and turning the vision into action. You have to go to where the need is. You have to go to where the vision is. You have to move out of just a possibility and move into the reality. And sometimes our geography is a very, very important part of our opportunity, our, our position. We have to realize that we have to be at the right place and we have to go to where God has called us to go. Now, I used to work with a lot of young young ladies, Beth and I would, as a youth minister, and some of them would feel called to marry a preacher, but they would say something like this, I want to marry a preacher, but I do not want to go to a Christian college. And so I would just ask them a very spiritual question. I would say, let me ask you this. If you wanted an enchilada, would you go to the Italian restaurant? No. Beth always does not like this analogy because she went to a secular university and got to marry me. Just joking. I was fortunate. So God is bigger than all of that. But the point is this, is I would tell these young ladies, if you want to marry a preacher, go to where the preachers are to marry them. Does that not make sense? If God's given you a vision and God's given you a plan, you've got to go there, just like Nehemiah. He had to go to Jerusalem. He couldn't help the people in Jerusalem by sitting in Babylon. He did everything he could there, and it was time for him to go there. It was time for him to go to Jerusalem and go to that place. When it comes to, if, if you want to work with, with inner city, and I have a burden for the inner city, and I really want to see God renew the, the urban centers of our nation, you have to get out of the suburbs. You have to go to the inner city. You have to go there and go to that place. You want a church that's going to grow and it's important for you that a church is growing. You have to go play in a church where there are people and where the community's growing. You have to go to that place. And so location has a lot to do with 
how God can turn our vision into action. So we have to go to that place. Now, one of the things uh, that when we're, we're assembling a team is we have to realize this. is three, the leader knows the vision before the team. The leader knows the vision before the team. If you're leading a team and they're telling you what to do, you're really not the leader. If you're leading the team and you don't have the plan and uh, they're just suggesting things to you and you're like, oh, I like your plan, I like your plan, I like your plan, then you're probably really not leading the thing. You might be the positional leader, but there's always a leader in every group and it's not always the person with the title. It's the person that everyone turns to when the meeting's taking place. It's the person who has the influence. And if you want to be a leader, you have to realize that you have to get in front of the people you lead. You have to think ahead of them. You have to plan ahead of them. You have to have the burden and the vision ahead of them. If you look at verse 12, he says, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So he entered the city with all of this lumber and with all this material, but he did it at night. He did it secretly. He only had a few men and he didn't tell everybody what he was going to do. He, he he, He could have entered with a huge military escort and got everybody's attention and everybody could have said, oh, what's happening? And he said, I'm here to rebuild the walls. But he didn't do that. Because one of the things you need to realize in leadership is this. Timing sometimes is everything. You have to know when to cast a vision. You have to know when to share the dream. If God's placed a dream on your heart, not everybody's going to cheer you on. Not everybody's going to want to see it come to pass. And so you have to know when to give the dream and how to give the dream. And you have to get ahead of other people and think ahead of them and plan ahead of them and have a plan. That's what leadership is, if you think about it. You see, people need direction. And if you haven't charted the course, and if you haven't figured out where you're going to go, how will anyone follow you? And that is what bringing a team is all about. Bringing a team is not just waiting on other people to come so then they can instruct you. It's about hearing from God first and knowing where you are going. And the world gets out of the way if somebody knows where they're going. If you know where you're going and you have a resolute and you know what direction you're going, people will follow you because people need direction in their life. People need somebody to follow. Follow. Joshua, he looked over the promised land and he knew before any of the people that they were going to cross the river. He knew before any of them. When God gives you a vision, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to know ahead of time what's going to happen. One of the things that I love about message preparation it's when I'm in my office or at home studying, I mean, these sermons and teachings I give, I'm feeling it by myself before you get to feel it. I mean, I'm just sometimes in the presence of God just thinking, I'm, I'm typing out saying, that's good, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And He's blessing me, not because of my ability, because He anoints His Word and the Word's coming in me. And I love that because I have an experience with God before I get to share the experience with you. You know, earlier at the beginning of this year, Beth and the kids went to see her family, and uh, I spent a few days in complete solitude by myself. Did some fasting, and I just spent time completely by myself. The first time I ever spent New Year's Eve by myself, I went like 
several days without seeing anybody but my two little dogs there. Uh, and, and socially, that was very difficult for me because I'm a people person and I like to interact and I like to hang out, I like to have fun. It used to be when Beth would leave town, you know, Matt and Daniel, I'd be, they would take me out. I'd be a bachelor for three or four nights and uh, hang out with them. Those days are over. Uh, but uh, that, was, that was difficult for me socially, but, but God set the course for my ministry for the next decade, I believe. I mean, I journal pages of notes, and, and there is a focus right now. There's a clarity in me for this church, for my personal ministry, for my relationship with Beth, for my relationship with my kids, because as a leader, I had to get out of, ahead and get by myself and think. One of the reasons I'm so grateful you guys have provided the office that we opened up just seven months ago, even though it was a sacrifice to the church and all the space that we open. Can I tell you what a blessing that's been just to have some space where I can think and get ahead mentally and, and think a little more clearly? And I say all of this because some of you, God's given you a vision. He's given you a thought. He's given you a dream. And you're like, well, no one else gets it yet. That's the point of leadership. You get it before anyone else does. And then it's your job to cast that vision. Vision number four is from God. Vision's always from God. It doesn't come from a man, but it's the leader who defines the vision. The leader defines the vision to the team. It comes from God. All vision, a spiritual vision comes from Him. He's the one that downloads it. He's the one who provides it. But a leader defines it. And a leader sometimes points out things no one else sees and says, we're going a wrong direction here. We need to make a change here. We need to improve here. And it's not just criticism. That's one of the big challenges of a leader is not to become a critic. It's to become a person full of solutions. Because it's easy just to see what's wrong and, and point out what's wrong. But it takes something else to see what's wrong and to point out a solution. And a leader does that. A leader gets a team around them because... They are defining the issue and defining reality. Leaders sometimes have to come and define reality. And that's a difficult thing to do, to come and to say, you know what, we're not doing good in this area. You know, we, we might have always run things this way. I can't give an example because people will think it's personal and, and there's nothing personal. But we've always run a ministry this way. We can't do it that way anymore. We've always... We've always operated under this policy. We have to change that policy. And that's not just picking things apart and making changes for no reason. It's defining reality. And that's what Nehemiah did. Look at verse 17. He said, I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. You know, sometimes you can get used to a mess. And the mess has been there so long, and the, the city had been in ruins so long, and things had been in disrepair so long, that's the only thing these people knew. In fact, the city had been in disrepair for a hundred years. So that's all they knew. All they knew was brokenness. All they knew was rubble. All they knew was dysfunction. They could only read about the glory that Jerusalem used to be. And as a leader, Nehemiah said, Hey, wake up, people. The city's in ruins. We've got to do something. He defined reality. He said, team, listen, gang, we've got to make a change. This is not the way it should be. You see the trouble we are in? I'm back in verse 17. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, here it is. He casts the vision and says, we've got an issue. Now, here's the call. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. 
and we will no longer be in disgrace. Here is reality. Here is what we need to do. There is an issue. The walls are in disrepair and it's time for us to solve this 100-year problem. You see, the issue is somewhere along the line, people had just given up. We've all done that. We can all think of some house repairs probably right now or some car repairs. And there's some things I'm thinking of here physically around the church where you just kind of say, ah, that's just the way it is. And somewhere along the way, the people of Jerusalem had given up. And Nehemiah had to come back and say, come on, look, the walls are in ruin. Come on, let's rebuild. Let's not be a disgrace anymore. Well, the way how Maxwell put it, and I think this quote will be on your screen, your team must be the size of your dream. You see, God, when He gives you a dream and a challenge, it's so big that you realize, I can't pull this off by myself. You know, and leading a church is very much that way. There's no way that I could lead worship, and that is just really true. Uh, lead worship, preach, run sound, take up the offering, count the offering, run children's ministry, run the parking lot crew, greet all the people, stay at the communication center, and make sure everybody's greeted. Can one person do that? That's ridiculous. But I have a vision for this to be, and we're well on our way, a healthy, functioning, full-service church that's ready with open arms to bless anyone who doesn't know Christ. And so it's going to take all of us. It takes all of us stepping it up. It takes all of us realizing there's a need. There's a need to build His church and to build His kingdom here. Now, here it is that we got number five. We talk about a team, the favor of God on your life, will attract the team. The favor of God on your life will attract the team. How many know that charisma will only last so long? If you just, if you just use charisma, I mean, you'll, you'll uh, convince someone to follow you through the brood of your personality, and the first time you offend them, the first time you tick them off, they're gone. If you just are, are dependent upon uh, pressure, you know, and just, just browbeating people and telling them, if you don't serve, you're going to hell, you better follow me, or if you don't serve, you're in trouble, or I'm going to come and stalk you in the night if you don't volunteer for the church. That doesn't last. Fear only lasts for so long, and it's not even healthy. It's not even the will of God. But favor, when God begins to give you favor, you know, when God begins to give you favor, you can disagree with people, but they'll still stay on your team. When God... He begins to give you favor. You can make mistakes, and if you're humble enough to apologize to people, they'll stay on your team because it's the favor of God that begins to attract people to you. You see, when you, God's given you a call, and He's given you a vision, and He's given you a dream, one of the indications whether that is from Him is fruitfulness in your life because when you're fruitful, when you're fruitful and you begin to see, you're beginning to attract the team to you, that's one of the indicators, not the only, that God is blessing your life and God is is causing favor to come on you. Uh, Nehemiah 2.18 says, I told them about the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king had said to me. Remember what the king had said. The king had said, you have my blessing. You have the letters to pass through the land. You have my resources. He had favor, and the favor began, began to draw the people. And so the people said, let us Start rebuilding. One of the things you need to realize in your life to be humble enough to start praying for the favor of God. And, and the favor of God comes on you when you're humble. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth and that the reason why he led people. He was able to lead people who were in 400 years of bondage. 
It's humility is where the favor comes from. Not arrogance, not cockiness. It's humility. And the only way to truly be humble is to stay in the presence of the Lord, to stay in His presence. His presence is what will make you humble. So you stay in His presence. You remain humble before Him. The favor of God's going to start coming on you, and you'll start attracting people. You'll start attracting the right people. I had a man one time told me, I only met him one time, but he told me something that stuck with me the rest of my life. He said, I'm going to pray for favor, Aaron. He's talking to me and John McKenzie. We were looking for a place for our first church, uh, to, to the first place to meet. And he said, he said guys, I'm going to pray for favor, but not just favor with anybody, favor with the right person. Isn't that good? Because God will give you favor with the right person. And because not everyone's going to cheer you on. Look at verse 19. Here, here's the next sub, sub point under five. God's favor doesn't always mean you'll have favor with every person. Go ahead and fill that in as under point five. God's favor doesn't always mean you'll have favor with every person. Not everybody's going to be cheering you on. Verse 19, when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. And then they accused them. Are you rebelling against the king? There'll be people that will mock, make fun of, oppose, and question your motives. And those are the people that God just won't give you favor with because their heart's not right in the first place. But he'll begin to bring people around you that will have great, great favor. Someone is going to come at the right time. God's going to open the door at just the right time for you. Let's quickly go to the last couple of points under the value of a team. Those of you who are just nervous and say, oh my, i got a lot to do tonight and got to pick up the kids, I'm very aware of the clock. So just enjoy the next four points. The value of a team is this. Teams utilize people's expertise. If you begin to look at chapter 3, and by no means will we read through it because of its length, all through the chapter, chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it starts talking about specific people with specific skills. And these people would, would begin to work and use their skills and use their abilities to tap into their expertise. John Maxwell wrote something. You're going to want to take notes really quick on this, uh, and we'll put it up quickly. The wrong person in the wrong place equals regression. You got that, Randy? The wrong person in the wrong place equals regression. And is that true? That if you're the wrong person and you're in the wrong assignment, your ministry won't be fruitful. The wrong person in the right place equals frustration. The right, the right person in the wrong place is confusion. All right, I can email this to some of y'all if, if this interests you. This is where we, where we want to go. The right person in the right place equals progression. You're getting somewhere. You're making progress. You're gaining momentum. And ultimately, as a church, and whatever team you're leading is the right people in the right places equals multiplication. When the team starts working together and everyone gets in the assignment God's called them to, where they're fruitful with a great attitude and everybody's doing their part, they're not questioning others, they're not wishing there was someone else, they're finding their place on the team, then multiplication starts happening. And, and growth that you can't imagine in your business in whatever area you're leading, will start to happen. Teams accomplish things, work with speed. Number two. Chapter three talks about all the different teams that were working on the wall, and they got the work done fast. 
Here's the truth. Together, we're always better. We're always better together. If you can go through the pain in the beginning, the pain of the awkwardness of trying to assemble the team, of working through the personalities, of getting through the junk, and once the team starts hitting, there's going to be a speed that we're ready to go. Teams help us respond correctly to criticism. Randy was just moving me along right there. That was good. Teams help us respond correctly to criticism. All the critics that were, were, were happening there. Look at Nehemiah 4.4. How did Nehemiah and his team respond? They responded with prayer. They said, hear us, O our God, for we are despised. They were getting criticized. They were getting assaulted. They were getting falsely accused. But together they turned to the Lord. Hear us, O God. For we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. And here's the last one, number four. Teams invigorate our service. There's something energizing about being on a team. Can I tell you what's not energizing is when there's not enough volunteers. It's very de-energizing. It's very de-energizing when people aren't carrying their weight in your department, at your job. It's very de-energizing when you hire people and they just quit without any notice and they don't keep your word. But when everybody's on the same team and they're doing what they're supposed to do, then there is something amazing that happens. Look at verse 6 of Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah 4 verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till, uh, excuse me. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. Why? For the people worked with all their heart. You know, there's just something fun. There's something energizing. There's something right when people begin to work with all their heart. When they get on a team and they say, "We're going to get the job done, whatever it takes." Whatever it takes, we're just going to get the job done. I love that. Chris Taylor, I see him sitting over there. He just he talked to me a couple weeks ago and he said, Aaron, whatever you all need for children's ministry, we'll just get the job done. Whatever you need, we'll just fill in. And, and I love that type of attitude. And, and I, I sense that and I hear that. Some of you fill in gaps around here. I don't even know the gaps exist. But God's making us a team and we're going to get lots and lots of things done. And for your vision, listen, for the thing God has called you to do. Don't be fooled into thinking that you're going to accomplish it by yourself. Begin to pray for a team. Begin to pray that God would bring favor, the right people around you, the right time for you to, 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 to make a dream come true. Now, part of this, I'll say this, is I talked a lot about being the lead person in the team. But one of the things that will call, qualify you to be a lead person is for you to be a great team member. And I believe that. And I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to try not to be arrogant. or, or um, I just want to make this a teachable moment. I've, had, I've worked for three different pastors and never had a fight with all three of them. All three of them I have a great relationship with today. All three of the pastors that uh, I can say it was a great relationship with them because I served their vision. And I served them and did what they needed to be part of the team. And I believe that, 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 I say this at a teachable moment, that I sowed seed that God has caused to come back into my life. One of them is with David Huff, who is an excellent, excellent employee. 
that just 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 does so much. Penny Cowart, excellent employee. Deanna Powell, excellent employee. Pastor Doug Bagwell, Pastor Kim Driver, who are volunteer pastors, excellent. And then I could go on and on and on. You see what I'm saying? That that part of this teaching tonight is not is realizing you need to be a great team player before you can lead a great team. Would you stand with me? Lord, we thank you that the needs are great. Lord, the burden is great. And Lord, make us like Nehemiah, God. Lord, open our eyes to the needs. Open our eyes to the brokenness. Open our eyes, God, to the things that we can fix. Lord, pray. we pray that we would not be satisfied with brokenness. We would not be satisfied with, with rubble. We would not be satisfied when things that were once were glorious and brought glory to your name are now in this This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.